ready to study the scripture? We'll turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As you know, we're on our series called Conversations with God, Living in the Lord's Prayer. And um, this has been a fantastic series, really looking at how Jesus taught his disciples about prayer. And so let's read the passage and let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for what it teaches us. Father, we pray that you would allow it to come alive to us. Let it jump off the page and into our hearts. Let it give us revelation by your spirit that's working in the room today. Let us hear your words, hear what you have to say. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we've been going through this the last few weeks, it's been fascinating to see how Jesus was teaching his disciples, when you pray, I want you to start with our Father. What was he doing? He was identifying the relationship. He was, he was helping us to define who we are and who he is. He's our dad, and he really loves us. And then the second thing he said was, I want you to hallow the name of God. Hallow means reverence, respect. I want you to worship the, the name of God. I want you to respect him as your dad. I want you to honor him. And then the next thing that he taught them to say is, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. What does that mean? That means the first thing we ask God after we say, God, we're so thankful that you're our dad and we respect you and love you. What are you doing and how can we be a part of it? What's going on in your kingdom? What's happening? How is your kingdom moving and how can we be part of that? Let the kingdom that, is, that you've shown us come to the earth where we're doing what we do, where, where our workplace is, where our families are. Let your will be done. Let what you want to do happen in my life. What are you doing and how can I be involved in it? And then last week we talked about how we pray, give us today our daily bread. That there's really two ideas there. That when we ask God for bread, we're not asking for monthly bread, we're asking for daily bread. What it means is God knows when you need it and he knows how much. And when you pray for him to give you bread, you're relying on him to be the provider for your needs. Money's not your provider. Your own work and ability to work is not your provider. God is the provider for everything that we have in this life. And we recognize that by praying about bread. You can work, you can get bread on your own, or you can pray about it and be a good steward of the opportunities that God gives you. That's what we talked about last week. Be a hard worker. But don't trust yourself for bread. Trust God. All right? So, so then, now we're here to the, this phrase, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness is an incredible idea in the scriptures. That I don't think we spend enough time maybe talking about how it functions in us. It's a difficult subject for our culture. And the reason it's difficult is because we have so many people who have been broken and wounded 
by their fathers or their mothers or somebody in the workplace. But forgiveness is something that defines Christians. I want you to think about this. Forgiveness is what defines us. We are forgiven people. It is the fundamental identifying mark of a Christian that I am forgiven of every failure, of every weakness, of every foolishness, my sins, my violations of other people and of God's law can be forgiven, erased, past, present, and future. This is an incredible idea if we can sort of wrap our minds around it. Forgiveness is the beginning of this journey where our need meets God's provision. If you look at other world religions, what you find most often is an appeasement of God. Appeasement, trying to get God to like us, trying to get God to do something for us. If you'll do the right things, if you'll meditate enough if you'll serve enough people, then God might be happy with you. God might forgive you. And if you fail, then you need to do a lot to make up for that failure. Can I suggest to you that that is not the gospel? The gospel message is that you come to him just as you are. <laughs> he doesn't say, now, first I'd like you to clean some of that stuff up. Some of that stuff you got going on in your life, clean that up and then come to church for a while. Then as you come to church, you'll start getting the picture and then I'll forgive you. Isn't it sad how our culture, especially I think in American culture, just kind of sees it as that. This is how you get God's acceptance. Many of you, while you would never say it, that's how you think. Forgiveness is something that God does when you respond to him and say, God, here I am. This is all I got. My life has run out of gas. My plan is awful. I've run into the, the worst failures, the worst mistakes of my life, and I don't, I don't know how to fix it. In fact, I can't fix it, and so I'm just going to surrender to you. I repent of my way, and I choose your way. And he, he takes us just like we are, all the mess all the crud, all the stupidity, all the foolishness. And he says, come on, son, come on, daughter, let me take you. I'll help you clean up. In fact, let me clean you up. Let me actually assist you in becoming the person I have always designed you to be. In fact, here, here's some gifts for you. I want to give you gifts. No, you don't have to do anything for them. You just surrender to me, and this is what you get. I'm your dad. I love you. You're my kids. Here you go. I want to give you these gifts. I want to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to I redeem you. Everything that you did that was really foolish, I want to go back and kind of fix it and then use it for my purpose in your life. Listen, that forgiveness thing is a big deal. I forgive you of your past. I forgive you of your failures. In fact, this, this is a unique statement within the prayer because it has a couple things attached to it. Right? He says, I'm going to forgive you as you forgive other people. It's a little, there's a little extra thing added on here. I think it's important for us not to see that as, uh, yeah, so I'm going to forgive you as long as you'll forgive other people. Well, as soon as you don't forgive other people, it's over for you. 
No, 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 no. I, don't, I, I think that's the wrong, that's like the negative way of looking at it. It may be true enough, but I, I, I think there's a, there's a better way to see it. I think what Jesus is suggesting here is he's suggesting that we are so amazed and filled with forgiveness that it has is, is so transformed our lives and our future that we're so free that we are filled up with forgiveness and it can easily spill out into other people when they hurt us, when they wound us. So I... I think, we have to, I think we have to change our way of looking at this. Je this is the only passage where Jesus expands on the subject in the next few verses. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, it's true. Let's, let's, let's define what we're dealing with, first of all, all right, before we, before we visit that. All right? For, here's what forgiveness is not. Here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing the wrong or denying punishment for the wrong that was done. You just, when you're forgiven, God doesn't deny the wrong, and he doesn't actually deny punishment. This is the miracle of the gospel. Christ took the punishment. This is the miracle. Forgiveness is not requiring an individual to become a doormat or a martyr. Jesus said to his disciples, okay, if you look at this from Jesus' perspective as well as yours, I'm not asking you to forgive other people and become a martyr or become a doormat. You don't have to do that. You know what Jesus said? He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. I love Jesus. He was such a tough guy. We don't give him enough credit. We got this vision of Jesus and he's like pale face and I do, not, I, I do not like that. Jesus said, look, look, nobody takes my life from me. I give it freely. He wasn't a doormat. Forgiveness is not based on fairness or apologies. I love this. My wife says, if they would just apologize, then I'd forgive. Sorry, she used to say that. It's so much easier when they apologize to forgive. Unfortunately, that's not part of the qualifications. Forgiveness is not trust. Hey, did you know that somebody may violate you and you really, you, you have to forgive them. You have to, you have to let the forgiveness that God's given you spill over and, and release them from judgment. That's God's best plan for you. But it does not mean that you have to trust them again. It doesn't, people, people who violate other people, listen, trust is earned. Forgiveness is mandatory, but trust is earned. Okay, so, so you're not a doormat, and, but, you, but there is this thing here called trust, and you can give it away or not, but you must forgive. And finally, forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not forgetting. You Sometimes, sometimes not forgetting means that's the basis of the testimony. You remember how bad things were, and then you remember how God saved you and rescued you. And so you don't forget it. You just see it transformed before your very eyes. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness, I believe, is a choice, not a feeling. 
Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. It's a decision. Uh, here's what I believe. It's, a dis it's actually a decision and a process. The, it, it, you've ever had to forgive a person, and then um, later on, after you'd forgiven them, it came back. They hadn't done anything else, but you still, and there's like, oh, I'm so mad at that person. You've got to forgive again. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Forgiving is a choice. It's not just a feeling. It's an act. Now listen to this. It's an act of faith toward God. Not toward the person. It's an act of faith toward God. When Jesus was willing to lay down his life, when he was on the cross, he was willing. It was an act of faith. He prayed in the garden. He was sweating like great drops of blood, the Bible says, and he was just agonizing, and he was praying, and he said, Father, if there's any other way to do this, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will. It was, going to the cross was an act of faith that Jesus had toward God, that God had the power to raise him from the dead. It's the same for you and me. It allows for a response to be determined by him. Forgiveness is a dismissal of debt that releases your resentment. Forgiveness is yielding your right to extract punishment for the injustice done. I love those words because I like to extract punishment. <laughs> Don't you? I mean, it feels really good sometimes, doesn't it? That's the lie, right? That's the lie of the enemy. Yielding your right to extract punishment for the injustice done. It is transferring, forgiveness is transferring the penalty and the determination of the sentence to God. Think about this. What you're doing when you're forgiving is you're allowing God, who is the righteous judge, who is the one who is just, the only one who is just, to determine the sentence or to deal with that person. Now, we'll get back to that in a second. But here's the problem. There's a wonderful thing. Like, I'm, I'm trying to get you guys all to go upstairs and be involved in a community, right? It's a wonderful thing. Being in community is something that's so healthy for us. It's so fulfilling for us. But there's two things that happen when you get involved in a community of people, okay? One is you get, you receive love from others in spite of your flaws, Oh, yes, you have flaws. Some of you are obsessed by your flaws. Some of you need to realize you have more of them. But here's the miracle of community. The miracle of community is you get to receive the love that only God can provide another person to show towards you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, you know what it says? It says, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. You know what that means? That means the only way we really see God is through another person, through the love of another person. When you're in community, your flaws, you, you realize, oh, I have these flaws, and, and then somebody loves you in spite of them, that is the best demonstration, illustration of God that you can get. That's, that's, and actually, we need that. The Bible teaches us that it's impossible to really love God unless you understand how that works in community. You have to love each other in order to know how to love God. But the second thing that happens is sometimes people hurt you, and their flaws start showing. 
their flaws start showing. And then you have to be the one that forgives, that loves them in spite of their flaws. And you know what that does in you? It creates spiritual maturity. Something starts to happen in you when you're able and willing, when you allow God to work through you, when you're able to love another person in spite of their flaws. Guess what that does to you? It grows you up. You start becoming mature. It's a sad truth. It's a counseling axiom you've heard before. Hurt people hurt people and are often hurt by others. <laughs> hurt people hurt people. Hey, listen, here's what I realize. Everybody does what they do for a reason. They're not always good reasons, <laughs> but they do it for a reason. And one of, the, one of the things God has called us to is compassion toward one another so we can learn these two things, so we can see God in each other and so that we can grow in maturity. My little, my little boy, Owen, some of you have been keeping track of this saga that we got going on Facebook, but he's two weeks into his first year of kindergarten, right? So his first year, I hope he doesn't do a second year. <laughs> his first year of school, but he's going to kindergarten and, he's, and he's, he's crying every day that he goes to school. He has major separation anxiety, right? So we walk him to school. We live right around the corner from school. We're walking. He's fine. Everything's good. He's playing with the other boys that we're walking with and it's fun and it's awesome. And then we get like, I don't know, 50 feet from the front of the school, right? And it's like, oh, something's, something's wrong. I don't know if I can do this. He's, his eyes start darting back and forth. He's trying to figure out what to do. And he gets to the door, and I mean, over the last week, I'm not exaggerating. He has been hanging on to my wife's leg and screaming, no, no, I don't want to go. Don't make me go. All the parents are out there, you know, kissing their kids goodbye. Bye. <laughs> we got the screamer. That's us. Yeah, I'm Pastor Ross right here. Now, he does better when I take him to school. But he did scream out one time as he was going down the hall, I miss my mom! <laughs> I mean, it's, listen, it's sad, people. It's so sad. It's terrible. I can't stand to do it, so I make my wife do it as much as I can. Because <laughs> I can't stand make, making him go in there. It's so hard. And so, anyway, we ended up, we ended up with, uh, we, we, we resorted to uh, bribery. And so we promised him a bunch of stuff if he didn't cry. So we promised him that he could have slippers. I don't know what the deal is with slippers, but he wanted slippers really bad. <laughs> he wanted to buy some slippers, and he wanted to have a sleepover. S slippers and sleepover with, uh, with his cousin. His cousin is named Judah, all right? So he wanted to have his cousin sleepover. So all that happened Friday was the day. And he goes into school. Mom's taking him. He walks in. He keeps it together. He's being strong. He takes his brother, his little older brother, 20 months ahead of him by the hand. And they, they go through the doors, and he doesn't cry. So he can get slippers and a sleepover. <laughs> So we go and buy him some slippers, and he buys uh, Angry Bird slippers. <laughs> I don't know. He just loved the Angry Birds. I don't know what it is. So he's, he's wearing his slippers, and he's loving it, and he's so excited. He's been thinking about it all day. He's like, my cousin's going to come over. We're going to have a sleepover. It's going to be awesome. And he's, and he's thinking about it. He's talking about it, and they come over, and suddenly his cousin does not 
want to sleep over. He doesn't want to sleep over. And so I, he starts crying. You said he would sleep over. You said he would sleep over. This is not fair. And so he gets, it gets so out of control, we got to take him in his room. He's, you know, he's, he's the most emotional of all of our children. He, like, has the worst parts of me. So we take, I take him in his room. I'm trying to talk him through it. I'm like, you, you Owen, you can't make him stay if, you, if he doesn't want to stay. Yes, you can. <laughs> you, you can make him stay. <laughs> you can't do that. So he had to get a hold of himself, and he worked, we worked it all out, and we did some other stuff, and went and rented a movie, and went to Grandma's house, and it was all great. He finally got a hold of himself, but it took a while. And I, when, I was, when I was getting ready for this message, I was thinking about how we act just like this. And you can tell a person who has not become spiritually mature because they're 42 years old and they're still saying, you said, you said you would do that. <laughs> we still think that, like, like we want to, wouldn't it be nice if we could make people do what they should do? We need to make everybody do what they should do. Yeah, it's true. And actually, some churches, that's how they function. Real heavy, push everybody, real legalistic. They're going to make you do it. Listen, that, that, is not, that is not the gospel, number one, all right? That's not the gospel. But, but secondly, this is the issue is people will not do what you want them to do. And the sooner you realize that, the more mature you're going to be. And you really only have one choice. You can't make them do what you want them to do. You have to be willing to forgive them, to release them from the burden of judgment that you want to take over. God's judgment. Right? God's judgment you want to take it and you want to slap them over the head. You want to hurt them. <laughs> if you think about, if you think about uh, Romans 12, verse 19, it says, here's what, here's what the scripture says. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, on first reading, you kind of think to yourself, yeah. God's vengeance is way better than mine. <laughs> Let's let him have it. Strangely enough, I don't think that's what this passage means. I think what this passage means is that God is the one who is more just, more wise than you, more merciful than you, you know, you know, the scripture says that God is not willing that any would perish. He's, he, he's chasing them down with his love. He's using everything he can. He's even using the injustices that happen to them because of their foolish decisions or other people's foolish decisions. He's going to use those to try to reveal himself. Sometimes, some, here's the crazy thing. Sometimes I think God is setting up situations where you're going to have to forgive why? Because some people need to see Jesus. 
I mean, I think that's a, there's like a, there's like a theological conundrum there, right? Like we live in this world that is so broken. It's not like God has to create more injustice. He doesn't. God doesn't do that to people. But he'll take every opportunity he can, and he is, he, as he is in charge of your life, he will put you in strategic spots to make sure that other people get to see who Jesus is. This is the power of forgiveness. This is the power of having a forgiving heart. But it is very, very difficult. It can be so challenging to us. And what you have to have is confidence. You have to understand how much you're forgiven. If you turn over to Matthew 18, we're just going to read the story. It's a familiar story. Matthew 18, the unmerciful servant. And I want you to see it here. We're going to read through quick. Verse 21, Matthew chapter 18, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And he's like thinking, I'm going to go for a big number here. Uh, up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not even seven times, but 77 times. Some translations, it's 70 times seven. 490. Do you think that the point of Jesus was keep a log, keep a record, and make sure you mark it down each time you forgive, and then when you get to 490, that's it? No, that wasn't what he was saying here. He was suggesting something that goes beyond reason. He was suggesting something that goes beyond just a reasonable way of looking at things. What I think he was suggesting is something supernatural. It's very hard to forgive somebody if you don't have supernatural power going on inside of you. If you don't have a genuine relationship with God where you're amazed and overwhelmed at how he's forgiven you. It's hard to, get, it's hard to forgive somebody else unless you've got that going on inside you. And an illustration here, Jesus launches into this story. He tells... This story in verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, which essentially means millions of dollars, say it, millions of dollars. He had millions of dollars. This guy was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Pause. When you're under the crushing weight of debt, if you're in financial debt or if you're in spiritual debt and you don't understand forgiveness, it's crushing to you and it affects your kids and it affects your spouse and it affects everybody around you. That's what happened to this guy. He was in over his head and it affects you. It affects the people around you. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. This, look at verse 27. You should take your pen and underline this verse right here. If your Bible is too good to mark in, enshrine it in glass and get a new one. You got to use this thing. Get your pen, underline it. Look what it says. It says, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Think about, think about if you had millions of dollars in debt, you'd run up your credit cards. I mean, I don't know how you could have enough credit cards to run up millions of dollars of debt, but I hear it happens. And it's crazy. And somebody comes to you and they say, hey, I'm going to get rid of it all. You're no longer under the pressure and the weight of being in commercial debt. 
You, what I just did to you was, you're all thinking about the debt you're in, not the freedom. <laughs> yeah. But look what happens to this guy. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a few dollars. It's really not much. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Boy, that sounds familiar. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This is a guy who's still acting like he owes a lot of money. He's a guy, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't receive the forgiveness that he's been given. So many of us as Christians, we don't live like this. We, don't, we haven't tapped into the amazing, incredible, awesome, overwhelming, supernatural power of forgiveness of our sins. Especially if you grew up in church like I did. I was born on Saturday in church on Sunday. I was raised on the front row. I, I mean, it, it, it took me time to have a revelation of how bad I could be. And how, and how evil I actually am in my heart and in my soul. But if you don't get in touch with that, if you don't understand how much you've been forgiven, then you keep acting like you have to exact revenge from somebody else. You have to get something from somebody else. You don't have freedom. You're just trapped. You're in debt. You're carrying around a load of debt. And you've got to get stuff from somebody else. That's what unforgiveness is. You're going around trying to get something that you can only get from God. You can't get it from somebody else. What you have to understand is that God takes account of all hurt and injustice in your life. You in order to forgive, you have to believe that he knows and sees every injustice, every issue, every crime, every, everything that somebody does to hurt you. Look what Psalm 9, 7 through 10 says. It says, the Lord reigns forever. I'm going to just put it up on the screen. You can read it with me. He has established his throne of what? He's established his throne of judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. For who? People who have been oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Trying to get vengeance on another person is coming to the place where you don't believe this passage. You don't believe that he is a God who helps the oppressed. I always think it's amazing because we all don't want to be oppressed, but it's not until we are oppressed that we know how he helps us in the midst of being oppressed. This says he helps, he helps the oppressed. He's a refuge for the oppressed. It doesn't mean you'll never be oppressed. Hey, people, you live in, a, you live in the world. You live here with a bunch of other flawed humans. You're going to be oppressed. The power of forgiveness is understanding that you have it and you receive it in the midst of being oppressed. Psalm 103.6 says the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Now look, here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness comes from believing something. Here's what you have to believe if you're going to forgive other people. Here's what you got to believe if you're going to forgive other people, that God will defend you. That you don't have to defend yourself. And if he doesn't, it's okay. Because he's the judge and one day everything's going to come out. Everything's going to be seen. See, if you don't believe in the eternal judgment, then yeah, you got to get your justice now. 
Hey, did you, did you catch what I just said there? That's part of the mentality of a Christian. We understand. Listen, I'm all for social justice now. We should be the people who are making things right on the earth because we're bringing in the kingdom of God now. But it will be in its final capacity, its final fulfillment at some point when Jesus returns and the judge of all things makes his declaration. There's something that you've got to believe. You've got to believe that he's defending you, that he will defend you, and that you will have ultimate justice. The second thing you have to believe is that God has the wisdom to judge the other person, and you don't. God has the wisdom to know what's going on inside of them. Number three, you have to believe that God has the power to heal you. Unforgiveness always hurts us, but it almost never hurts the person who hurt us. Think about that for a second. Unforgiveness, not forgiving somebody else, taking all those vengeance on yourself, it actually, it always hurts us. Unforgiveness hurts us when we choose not to extend it, but it almost never hurts the person who actually hurt us. Unforgiveness is a problem right here. It messes you up right here. I'm not going to forgive you, and they don't care. They hurt you in the first place. It's like, I'm going to show you, <laughs> not going to forgive you. <laughs> Take that. And then your heart withers. Your life withers. Why is forgiveness so important? Last thing I want to say to you. Why is forgiveness so important? Here's what I believe. I think it's because the oneness, the oneness of the people of God is so important. Why, why does Jesus include this in the prayer? If you think about John 17, John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says to them, we're not going to turn there, but I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, Father, I pray that you would make them one like we're one. Like, get what's happening here. Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's saying, Father, I want them to experience this kind of oneness, this kind of connectivity, this kind of interaction with one another, the kind of oneness that comes from diversity that's willing to love each other even in your flaws. The kind of community that's made, that really believes in forgiveness, that doesn't hold stuff over people's heads, that doesn't hit people and punish them, but allows God's work to happen in a person's life. I don't have to exact judgment. God can do that. I'm just free to love them. Okay, so what, it, what does John 13 say? John 13 says, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for who? For the poor? For really, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> it's love for each other that creates the attraction. The reason forgiveness is such a big deal to God is because he wants his people to be healed, to be whole. He wants a representation of himself on the earth. And that means we have to engage in forgiveness to others. Now, here's, what, here's the amazing thing that Jesus said. He said, Father, make them one like we are one. And then he gave a reason. He gave a reason that he wanted them to experience that kind of unity. You know what it is? By the way, this is where we got our name, One Chapel, from Jesus' prayer for us and for his disciples. The reason he prayed that they would experience the oneness that he and his father had 
was so that the world would believe that God sent Jesus. So that the world would believe that the Father sent him. When we act like God, people are attracted. When we're willing to engage in forgiveness, when we're willing to allow others to go through their journey and their process and receive and experience the forgiveness that only God can provide in our lives, something miraculous happens. Close your eyes, bow your head, and I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about where you are, what, you're, what you've experienced in forgiveness and Or maybe unforgiveness. Maybe right now you're thinking of a person that you, you really have to let go of. That it's hurting you, hurting you. It's ruining your heart. It's not punishing them. I wonder if you could receive the astounding, overwhelming, supernatural forgiveness of God through Christ. Wonder if wonder if you could do that right now, just right where you are. Maybe you're the person that feels like you've done so, some things that are so horrible, so awful that you can't even forgive yourself. And so you have guilt, you've condemnation all the time. Instead of receiving forgiveness from God, you just hold this thing over your head. Can I tell you that he wants to wipe that away? He wants to free you of it. He wants to change your paradigm. He wants to change your way of thinking. All over the room, I want you to receive the work of Christ. Receive forgiveness. Then you can share it with others. First, you have to receive it. So, Father, we just take a moment and we ask you, forgive us for our sins, our failures our foolish behavior, all our mistakes. Would you make us into something new? Would you refresh our heart? Would you renew our hearts? Help us to forgive ourselves. Help us to forgive you. Help us to forgive others. We receive forgiveness now. We repent, we come to you just like we are. We, we come to you and we offer ourselves and we say, God, we, we give you everything. We invite you into our lives. We invite you in. We surrender all and we invite you in. And then Lord, I, want, I, I just ask you to help all of us. Lord, all of us have suffered. All of us have had wounds from our families, from our fathers, from uh, people that we know, people who we trusted, and they've hurt us. And so, Lord, help us. Give us the strength to release them from judgment. Give us the strength to let you decide how to deal with them. Give us the courage to forgive out of strength, not out of weakness. Forgive them. And let them go and renew our heart. Change our hearts. We release them now. We release that person now. We choose to release them. We decide to release them. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. And it's a process. And so we begin that process or we re-engage that process now. We forgive. Help us, Lord, to get a revelation of forgiveness.
all over this room, all over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.